Well, we're going to dive, and yes, pun intended, into a story of a man who was underwater, literally, emotionally, and spiritually. We're going to learn how God is actually in control of our lives, even when we are underwater. We're going to learn how to get to the surface and how to experience peace in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Well, each week we're going to cover a, ch- uh, a, a chapter in the true story of Jonah. And so our first week, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about how disobedience always starts with a choice. And like the thing that we pull for Jonah's life is as he, as he disobeyed, it led to dissent, it led to depression, and it came with collateral damage. And the same thing happens to us. Now, here was the good news when we left on, on week one. Yet, no matter how far you are from God, grace is always available. Last week in chapter two, we learned that our disobedience can never outrun or outpace or overpower God's grace. We'll find that a follower of Jesus is not only a receiver of grace, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a product of grace. Well, this week, we're going to find Jonah arriving in Nineveh. After everything this guy experienced, you would think that he would be all for doing what he was called to do, but we're going to find out that he reluctantly obeyed, he preached a heartless message, and the people of Nineveh responded to a five-word sermon in a way that he did not want them to. In fact, he wanted their city to burn to the ground. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been reluctant? Have you ever hesitated? I remember shooting a gun for the first time. My dad was preparing me for, for my first hunting season. And so I grew up in the, in a, on a farm in Pennsylvania, and my dad would spend uh, Saturdays teaching me how to shoot. And we spent time teaching me uh, the basics of the gun, gun safety, and how to shoot. I was hesitant for the <laughs> to shoot for the first time because he was giving me a 12-gauge to shoot, and it was very intimidating to a 12-year-old, especially as I saw the kickback with other people. So I reluctantly stepped up. He, he held me the gun, and I firmly held the shotgun. I took a breath. I aimed, I took another breath, and I shot, and I <laughs> went to the ground. I got myself back up, and my dad was like, all right, you ready again? I said, yes, I'm ready again. I was less hesitant the second time. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been reluctant to make that big purchase? Maybe maybe for you, it's putting in, in the job or the promotion, or, or maybe it's dating or dating again, or it's proposing. I know some of us, we're, we've been hesitant or we're anxious about that first child coming in the world, or maybe the sixth child, or maybe for you, it's giving someone advice that may not go over well. But maybe for you, you're just unwilling to do something. Maybe you're unwilling to eat the place that you had a bad experience at. Maybe yeah, you received food poisoning or you had a hair in your food. Or maybe for you, you're just unwilling to drive in the snow. But let me dig a little deeper. Maybe you're unwilling to apologize. Maybe you're unwilling to admit that you got it wrong. Maybe you're uh, unwilling to make a relationship right. Maybe you're unwilling to do what you're being asked to do. Now, it's not morally wrong what you're being asked to do. You just, just don't want to do it. It just doesn't make sense. And I, I, I'm guilty of that. Uh, the girls and I, a couple months ago, we were up north at a place that will go unmentioned. 
we had a good time, and Brooke was trying to tell me something I couldn't hear. And so I got down on a knee, and we were both masked up, and we got down on a knee, and I, and I said, baby, and so I put it down a little bit, and I said, baby, what are you, what are you, what are you saying? And she said, whatever she needed to tell me. And before I could get back up on my feet, before I could even put my mask back on, I have a lady who's about 10 feet away from me going like this to me. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Just give me a second to get up and I'll put my mask back on. She gave me a look like we were going to expose everyone to the virus, cause a super spreader. It's like, man. Now, again, I realized I was a guest at that property. I just needed a little bit of time to do what I needed to do. So we're going to find out as you dive into this chapter that reluctant obedience is not complete obedience. And we're going to learn how we can have trust in God without reluctance. Now, over 2,000 years ago, we find Jonah's story. And Jesus gave credibility to Jonah's story. And so there are a few takeaways for us today that's going to reinforce that obedience is about trust and trust requires humility. Now, to set the scene, God last week appointed this big fish to swallow Jonah. After three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, he got Jonah's attention. So the big fish vomits Jonah onto the shore some 600 miles from Nineveh. Notice what happens next. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to that great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. I guess the second time is a charm. Jonah finally obeyed, or, or so it seems. Jonah got his second chance. Now, I, I want to be clear. There's a difference between God's patience and God's permission. There's a difference between God's patience and his permission. Now, God never permitted Jonah to act the way that he did. He never gave a thumbs up for Jonah to act the way that he did. However, God was patient with Jonah. God got his attention by not allowing him to drown. See, God will never not be able to use you for his purposes. God will provide second chances for us as he does quite a bit. Honestly, he does it a lot. But I will say this, second chances don't last forever. Now, notice what happens next. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Now, Nineveh is described as this great city. Now, it wasn't the capital city, but it was an important city. It was a violent city. Now, this is really important. When prophets would come into a city, they were seen as ambassadors because they represented a God. They represented a deity. So Jonah was welcomed basically with immunity from any other violent behavior or violent reputation. He had immunity. Now, Jonah walked for three days with this message, and he started the first day he got in the city, which was uncommon because as a prophet... Day one, you kind of get comfortable. Day two, you give your message. And day three, you leave. But Jonah gave the message starting off. It's short, it's to the point. And in the Hebrew, it's actually five words. Jonah doesn't mention who, 
how, or even an appropriate response to avoid destruction. Not once did Jonah tell Nineveh to repent. He just said, look, in 40 days, it's going to be demolished. And the word demolished is the same word used about Sodom. It suggests a complete destruction, burned to the ground. Now, God gave them 40 days, and it was a grace period. And in the Old Testament, 40 just was a period of waiting and testing. 40 days represented waiting and testing. It's obvious that Jonah didn't want to be there. He did not want to share this message. Jonah did not like the people that he was sharing this message with. Jonah did what he was told, but what was the posture of his heart? See, Jonah, like you and me, sometimes we have the case of reluctant obedience. He did it, but he really didn't want to do it. And there's a difference between behavior and heart. There's a difference between religion and relationship. Religion is about modifying your behavior, while relationship is about surrendering your heart. Obedience, it's about trust. Obedience is about trust. Jonah did what he was told and did the minimum. Jonah simply didn't fully trust God. How many of us, let's be honest, we've gotten pulled over and you go slow for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Like you're very aware of how fast you're going. Then all of a sudden, sometimes like it happens out of nowhere that you go back to your normal driving habits. It's like getting (laughs) before getting caught. Well, Jonah, that was a lot like Jonah. Now notice what happens next. And then the people of Nineveh believed God. Remember, he didn't want to be there. This had to have bothered him. For whatever reason, they believed Jonah's God. They believed that Jonah's God would completely destroy their city. Now here's an interesting thing about the New Testament when Jesus gives credibility to this story. He, he says this, that Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh. Now it could be, that they saw Jonah who may have been disfigured from being in the belly of the fish. If that's the case, it's ironic that Jonah being saved from drowning may have added credibility to his five-word sermon. He could have been his own sermon illustration. But think about it. If God was really going to destroy them anyway, why send a messenger? Why send Jonah? So even though Jonah never gave clear instruction on how to escape, He never gave them instruction on how to escape destruction. They figured it out. Notice what happens. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth. This is in Jonah 3, 5 through 9. Everyone from the greatest to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne. He took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Notice what the king writes. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Like the Ninevites, even though they were given no instruction by Jonah, they were superstitious by nature. If we look at the Assyrian texts from at least the ones that we have or have copies of, 
they would enact city citywide fast for one of four situations. One, a total eclipse, a famine, a flood, or an invasion. Now remember, Jonah never said how to do it. These people with broken moral compasses figured it out. They were willing to change to avoid complete destruction of their city. They were willing to change. Now notice, notice their posture versus Jonah's posture. They are humble. They are willing to change. Jonah is not willing to change. Pride. Pride versus humility. The king showed humility by doing four things, and this is a big deal. One, he showed vulnerability. Kings just didn't leave their throne unless it was a serious, it was an emergency. Because when you left your throne, it left it open to someone else to take over. He was willing to be vulnerable. Number two, he showed that he was submitting to God by taking off his royal clothes. When a king was conquered, royalty was stripped of their clothes, it was a sign of new authority. The king is willingly saying, all right, God, you're in control. Number three, he dresses in sackcloth. He's wearing, he's wearing poor man's clothes. It's showing that he is depending on his repentance to change God's mind. And number four, he's sitting down in dust. <laughs> by, by doing this, he, he's letting everyone know, hey, I'm taking Jonah's message seriously. Please join me. And then they fasted, and that was a clear indication they were desperate to get God's attention. They were desperate to be rescued from being completely wiped out. And this reminded me, this king doing this, leading from the front, reminded me of President Lincoln and the speech that he made in 1863. President Lincoln said this, It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history, that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end our national reformation as a whole people. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feed the necessity, to feel the necessity, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power to confess our national sins, to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now, going back to the story, notice what happens next. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster. He had threatened them, and he did not do it. The turning point of the story was that they just weren't sorry. They actually changed direction not to spoil the story god saved this generation from complete destruction however 120 years later god ended up destroying Nineveh because they settled back into their evilness now we're going to pick it up there next week but before we do there's one big takeaway for you and for me here's the takeaway 
Our posture is more important than our behavior. Your posture, my posture is more important than your or my behavior. Look, when we're not completely aligned with God inwardly, it will show outwardly. Even those of us who are most like very disciplined, we're going to struggle with doing whatever we need to do with a smile that we don't necessarily believe in. Like our reluctance, our hesitation, it will show. As with Jonah, God still uses us even when we're not all in. Imagine how more effective we are when our posture is right. Jonah's story reveals to us that God uses the most broken of us for his purposes. But it all comes down to you and I surrendering to God's word. This is an issue of trust. Either we completely trust God or we reluctantly obey. Like Jonah, the sin that stands in our way of completely trusting God is pride. Spiritual growth becomes less painful when we're open to it. Like according to Jesus' brother James, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Push, pull. He's going to pull you in when you're humble. He's going to push your way. He's going to allow you He's going to allow you to kind of do what you want to do. But the moment you're humble, he's going to pull you in. As a follower of Jesus, I need to be thinking about things like this. I'm going to trust God and his word. I don't know everything God does, and that's what matters. Now, two questions I want to leave you with before we head into chapter four next week. Number one, what is something with God and his word that you struggle with? What is something with God and his word that you struggle with? And number two, what is keeping you from a posture of humility? What is keeping you from a posture of humility? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we sort of land the plane this morning, I ask that, God, you will open up our hearts to trust you. God, speaking from experience, this week has been a very, very difficult week. But you've reminded me time and time again how important it is to trust you. God, I'm asking for the people who are listening, who are watching, Father, that they would be confident in you, that they would be willing to trust you. God, I'm asking that through the week, challenges may come up, opportunities may come up, that, Father, in each situation, that we are trusting you. Help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.